Fisher, welcome to those who are watching online. We're so glad you're with us. And uh, as part of a series we've been doing, and this is the third one in the series. I thought it might be the, the last, but I'll, I've got many other ideas as well. <laughs> How many know when you, it's, a, it's an important thing for us to be established in the Word of God. Not just to have experiences of gathering, but to study the Word of God and become established in truth. Without that, you are just subject to the winds of whatever's going through our nation or through the world. We need to be established in truth. So what I want to do is just, just for those who haven't been here before, uh, I shared a message uh, just before Christmas called The Arrival of Earth's King. And we shared just uh, how the arrival of Jesus Christ was a far more spectacular event than most people understand. In fact, it's such a spectacular event that the calendar of mankind is divided up into BC, before he came, and AD, after he came. It's a significant event. And then I shared a message uh, last week called The Message of the King. And what we looked at was what did Jesus, having intervened in the earth, when it came time to minister, what did he come to say? And we looked at the whole message uh, that Jesus had, and you can look at that online, and uh, his message concerned the kingdom of heaven. And uh, the people he was talking to all lived in an expectation of a natural kingdom that would replace and overthrow the Romans, set up a new political structure, and restore the kingdom from David's time and Solomon's time. If you go and have a look at the kingdom in King Solomon's time, you will be amazed at how spectacular it was, but it's just a glimpse of the kingdom Jesus is presenting will come. And one of the things the Bible points out that this current age, the age we live in, is called this present evil age. And it's evil because it's full of injustice, crime, problems that can't be solved. It's dominated by spiritual powers that shape ideologies, the way people think. Make no mistake, what's coming into our nation and the nations of the West are demonically inspired ideologies. And if you're not established in truth, you will fall for them. The Bible tells us that because there's no love for the truth, God sent a strong delusion. Think about that. So we need to be established in the truth. And we saw that the, uh, the, uh, this age will be replaced by the age which is called the eternal age, beginning with a thousand years when Christ establishes his kingdom on the earth. The earth has never seen this. It is something that's never been experienced. I've got lots of things we could share about it. We can't get into all of that today. I want to focus just on one thing. And the message I want to speak on today is called our hope. Beginning of the, uh, of the year, Pastor Dave's first message was about hope. And I want to share a message called Our Hope, the hope of Christians. And uh, our, hope is, uh, the, um, our hope is the return of our King. And we're going to show and open some scriptures. So I'd like you to put the scriptures up. I want you to put this one up here first, Romans 15, verse 13. Romans 15, verse 13. I'm going to put a number of scriptures up. I want you to read them and see them for yourself, what the Bible says. I don't need to explain them because they are actually reasonably self-explanatory, but I'll share some things to help you focus on it. In Romans 15, 13, now. So when is that? Now. That's not in the future. It's now. It's now. Now notice what it says. It says, now the, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing 
that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice that word hope. The word hope means to anticipate with excitement and pleasure. I wanna look forward to something. Now notice what it says. The first thing it says, it says that God is called the God of hope. In other words, God in His thinking is always looking forward for great exciting things to come. He is the source of hope, the God of hope. So God is called the God of hope because He is the source of how you can look at the future. If you read the headlines, you won't be filled with hope. You wanna read the Bible and hear what God has to say. His desire very clearly is you abound in hope. In other words, He wants you to live a life that's full of being positive and expectant about the future. Not a life that's without hope, hopeless, despairing, depressed, gloomy, dull, complaining. That is not the life God wants us to have. It's a life filled with hope that we are the most positive people, positive about the future. And notice it says there uh, in that verse, fill you with joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the source of our hope is not something natural. The source of the hope we can live in is the Holy Spirit. So without a relationship with the Holy Spirit, bringing revelation to your heart, you'll just live out of your natural mind and the feelings about what's going on around you. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. It says here, the source of our hope is the power of the Holy Spirit. Now notice that it says, now the God of hope fill you with joy, peace, and abundant hope. Joy and peace are, the, are what's called the fruit of living under kingdom authority of Christ. The kingdom of heaven, not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy the Holy Ghost gives. So notice then, he's saying, there is a dimension you can experience now. It's an experience uh, that you, you, you obtain from your relationship with the Holy Spirit who puts peace in your heart, joy in your heart, and you look forward to what's ahead. That's how we're meant to live. Shouldn't be needing to be popping pills all the time to try and fix the hangover or the depression because of the news we saw. <laughs> how about that? So, if, so, so that's our hope. So what is our hope? Now the Bible talks about our hope in a number of different ways. Sometimes it's hard to grasp it when you just say it in one way. So the Bible says it in different ways. And I've identified a number of different ways that the Bible talks about the hope of a believer. The hope of a believer. Now, there's a hope I can have like, hey, I hope it's fine tomorrow. I hope it's fine this afternoon. I hope things go well. I hope I get that promotion. So that's all what we call a natural hope. But we're gonna look and find that biblical hope is not something natural. It's something bigger than that that allows you to live naturally full of hope, see? Otherwise, you get disappointed in something not happening, then you get down. And that's where a lot of people are. They're up, they're down, they hope this will happen, doesn't happen, they're disappointed, no hope. But you see, a biblical hope is far above that and keeps us, no matter what happened, we keep getting back up again. Our life is full of getting back up again. Beaten down, that's it, it's over. No, it isn't. 
think I got something else in me that's bigger than that, I get up again. Do you understand? This, this is not something way out there. It's something that affects how you can handle life and setbacks, disappointments, opposition, persecution, misunderstandings, rejections, difficulties, apparently not God coming through. It, all of those things, you can get back up because you've got something in you. And it comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. It comes by revelation, as we'll see in a moment. Okay, so our hope. So our hope's quite different to all other kinds of hope. Now, here's the thing about our hope. The Bible tells us that the hope we have is firstly guaranteed by God. And secondly, it's an anchor for your soul. Let me read the Scriptures in Hebrews 6, 17 through to 19. I'm gonna read it out of the ESV. And so God, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of promise, the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath. So God Himself made a promise. How about that? So that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner sanctum or place behind the veil, where Jesus, our forerunner, has already gone. Now, we could open up and just spend a lot of time on that, but if you just pick up key statements, it said God has made a promise. So not only has God got a purpose in place, He made a promise He'll do it. Now, if God makes a promise, you can count on Him. It's got nothing to do whether we participate in it or not. God has said He's gonna do something, He'll do it. Now, some promises depend on our, they're conditional. They depend on us doing something. This promise, God has guaranteed it by bringing Christ into the heavenly realm, putting Him on the throne next to Him and giving Him a title to all of the earth. So it's a promise. Now notice it says it's number one, guaranteed by God. And you can't get anything stronger than that. You buy something, you got a warranty. It'll only be two years or three years, maybe less. But you get a warranty from God. This is a promise from God. And the second thing is, it says it's an anchor for your soul. Now the, the issues we have are in our soul. We get hurt in our soul, get rejected in our soul. We have fears in our soul. Our soul is the place, the warfare takes place. And this, the Bible says that when you have the hope that God has given, this hope anchors your soul. So no matter what goes on, you're not driven this way or that. An anchor holds the ship when the winds are blowing or the tide is against it. So you wanna have an anchor in your soul, you need a strong biblical hope. It will anchor your soul. The hope is not a good idea that I would like to happen. This hope or biblical hope is something God says he will do it. It's absolutely certain he will do it and it will keep you stable. How about that? Now, so we, the next thing I wanna look at, then I wanna describe the hope. Where is our hope kept? Now here's the scripture. Now the Bible actually makes it very clear. In Colossians 1 verse four and five, we heard of your faith in Christ and of your love for the saints. So he's saying, Man, you guys are doing well. I can hear of your faith, that you got strong faith and you got a great love for people, love for one another. And he says, it's because of the hope. 
So in other words, when we have a biblical hope, it requires if you hold on to that hope, you change how you live. Faith-filled life, a life of loving people because of the hope. Here it is, the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, which you heard of before in the word of the Lord, the truth, the word of truth of the gospel. Notice it says, our hope is laid up in heaven. That word laid up means to reserve or to hold for someone. So God has something reserved for you. It's His plan to give it to you. And it says it's reserved, it's got your name on it. And where is it reserved? Well, it's nothing to do with the earth. It's reserved in heaven. Now, why don't you see there a few things that come out. First of all, the real or true hope of the believer are not things you physically see or touch. It's not a hope I get a new car, hope I can change my house. I can't. It, it's none of those things. It's good to hope for those things. It's good to pray, believe and work towards those things, but they don't represent a biblical hope because they are seen and tangible. Our hope is reserved in heaven. Get the idea? So our hope is not in things of the physical realm, it's in something God has promised to bring about. The second thing we notice is that the hope of the believer is not heaven. Read it, our hope is reserved in heaven. It doesn't say our hope is heaven. So a lot of Christians, their thinking is, what I hope is I'll get to heaven. That shows just the lack of grounding in the Word of God. Biblical hope is not getting to heaven. Biblical hope is I have something reserved in heaven that God wants to bring to me, wants me to obtain. So heaven is the place that our hope is reserved awaiting God's timing. He said he would do it. And knowing what it is brings an anchor to you. So an anchor to your soul. So heaven is the place of our hope. Eh? So God guarantees it's laid up there, and He says it's there for you, and it's a hope. It's reserved, and because it's reserved in heaven, no one can take it away. See, if you hope for a car, someone can steal your car. Oh, disappointed. Okay, so we get I've, I've tried to get it that far. Now I want to show you the ways that our hope is described. So remember when God says it, He sometimes says it in a whole lot of different ways, but they all are referring to the same thing. So what we're going to do is going to look at the hope that we have, and it's all got different ways of describing it, but it's referring to the same thing. Different facets of a diamond. It's still a diamond. I want the diamond. God's got a diamond for me. Now here's some facets of that diamond or different faces of it, okay? So firstly, our hope is the calling. Our hope is the calling or destiny that God has on every person's life. Here, let's read it and see it in Scripture. Ephesians 1, verse 17 through to verse 19. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now notice his prayer. His prayer is, I'm asking God to give you revelation. This is not something you figure out in your head. If you could have, you'd have got it a long time ago. This is something that requires the Holy Spirit to reveal to you. 
I had this revealed to me by the Holy Spirit in a Bible school in Danny Verk under a man, I even remember him. And uh, very clearly, I went to the Bible school and one message and God gave a download of revelation to join myself that changed our lives. We saw and understood by revelation. Not because the message was great or we were smart, it was the Holy Spirit revealed it. Reveal it means it's hidden and then he shows you and now you can't unsee it. Get the idea? And he says that the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened. In other words, he's saying you need to have God shine light inside you to understand what? That you might know what is the hope of his calling. And not only that, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. The word calling is an invitation to a feast. Our hope is the calling God has placed on our life, the invitation that he has given to us to participate in something that is going to be a great feast. Notice it's his calling. His calling means it's his invitation. He invited you. Sometimes we get caught up on what's my calling, what's my calling. Don't worry about what your calling is. Find out what his calling is on your life. And then whatever God's put in your heart, then flow out and do it. Because when you receive his calling, it's called the high calling, the upward calling. What I'm doing now, there's a lower calling. So I might be called to be a teacher, called to be mechanic, called to be this or that or whatever. It doesn't really matter what you're called to be or do. God calls you firstly upward to the high call He has placed on your life. And secondly, to prepare for it by working out your individual call in your life now. So people get caught up on my ministry, my calling. It's all full of ego and pride. They don't really understand the call of God and the greatness of his inheritance and the greatness of his power. They're wrapped up in themselves. My calling be the servant. I'm called upward to the high call of God. And whatever he asks me to do now, I just do it. Now that has an expression. I have certain gifts, certain passions. So I will flow and develop those and serve people through those gifts. That'll be my unique individual earthly calling. But there's a calling that's bigger than that. His calling. So the calling of God is a hope that requires the Lord reveal it to us. He has a call, that means an invitation to you. Now, most of us can only see that invitation in terms of the invitation to be saved. Come give your heart to Jesus, get set free from your sins. Listen, getting set free from your sins is wonderful and powerful and changes your life, but it actually isn't the end and it's not the big call that God has on your life. It just gets rid of the baggage that enables you to get into the call. But if you... Just focus on that and don't understand your call. You're just living camped around where you got started and never found where you were going. Okay. I'm just taking it slowly because I know it just takes a little bit for it to sink in. <laughs> Sometimes it messes with our mind when we see these things. See? So, so it's his calling, his inheritance, his power. It's all about him, not about me. Okay then, so number one, my hope, what I'm looking forward to 
is the fulfillment of my high calling in Christ. The invitation he's given. I can't give you all the information about it. Invitation to the wedding feast, an invitation to partner with him, invitation to intimacy with him, invitation to sharing. I can't go into all the details. I'm just going to give you the big picture, okay? Second thing is our hope is the personal return of Jesus Christ in power and glory. This is the great believer's, the believer's great hope. Our hope is the king who once came and shared the message and gave his life, he will return. This is foundational to Christianity. Our hope is the personal return of Jesus Christ. Here it is in Titus 2, verse 11 through to 13. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us. So grace is to teach us, not to live a permissive life, but to live a godly life. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So God gives grace. That means he gives you power And the power of God doesn't say to you or teach you, you can do what you like because God loves you and forgives you. The grace of God teaches you, live a godly life in this present age. It will come to an end. And it says, looking for. So we live a godly life looking for. That word looking for is in expectation or hope of something. What are we looking for? The blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that is the great hope. See, our great hope is not changing our government. Our great hope is not that somehow Christians will get into government and they'll change the nation, make it a good nation. No, it's not gonna work like that. It's never worked like that because you can't change the hearts of men by laws. Requires revival to change the hearts of men. Power of the Holy Spirit. So the hope of the believer is the physical return of Christ. That's what we're looking for. That's what we hope for. That's what we're believing. God has guaranteed it will happen. And that guarantee anchors your soul. God guarantees he will bring that calling about. That's the anchor of our soul. So the hope of the believer. And it says in Psalm 96 and verse 13 and uh, 13, it tells us, he will return to judge the earth and bring forth justice to all nations. It's the cry of people, so much injustice. It's disturbing the level of injustice. The more you look in the papers, the more you see what's happening in the world, the more disturbing it is how much injustice there is in the earth, how much suffering and pain. But one of the things on the heart of Jesus is justice. His kingdom is upheld by justice. We read about the corruption in governments, the bribery and the things going on between companies and and, and businesses and media and government. It's disturbing until you realize that when Jesus comes, he's coming to sort it out. He's coming to change it. He's coming to introduce a thousand years of peaceful government without war in the earth and deal with every person who is unjust. See? And so in Psalm 96, 13, he is coming. He is coming to judge the earth and he will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. 
So you may be disturbed at the lies and all the things that are going on, but the promise of the Word of God is that Jesus will return. And when He returns, He's not coming as the, 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 the Lamb of God. He's not coming now as a little child born. He's coming as a king to judge the earth. That means call everyone to account. Quite Pretty clear, isn't it? And, and, and in Isaiah 42, verse 4, it says, He will not fail or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. So, even in spite of the fact that the problem is extraordinarily big, he is not discouraged by any of that. He will not give up until what? Until he has established justice right through the whole earth. Justice for the poor, justice for the widow, justice for the underprivileged, justice for people of different colours. He will establish justice. See, you understand that this is our hope. It can't come about until He comes. We can do our part now, but the fulfilment of it is when He returns. That's why we long for His returning. Instead of being angry at all the injustice, pray and do all you can to prepare the hearts of people for the return of the Lord. He will return to establish His kingdom and rule over all nations. So we've never seen it happen. We've only seen it in the Bible, a little glimpse of it in one nation in the Middle East for a short period of time, and it was glorious. Read about it. But the Bible says He will come and establish His kingdom over the whole earth. In other words, for 1,000 years, the earth will enjoy prosperity and peace and governance and absence of war it has never seen before. His, his return will usher in 1,000 years the world is longed for. That's why this is the great hope. Our great hope is not to change the government or do this or do that or fight this or fight that. Our great hope is His return. And right now we want people prepared in their hearts in relationship with Him, representing Him. It's all quiet. So it, it says in Psalm 102 verse 15, the nations shall fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth your glory. So when he comes, he will come in great power and glory. It says all the nations, the kings of the earth shall fear his glory. Now that's, established. that's astonishing. Think of Russia, think of the United States, think of all the different countries, China, think of all the countries, our country. Fear is glory. Huh? How about that? In other words, his returning is with such irresistible power and majesty that those who are not in relationship with Him will fear Him greatly. There are lots of things in the Bible on it, but I won't go into that today. There's, there's a thing called the great and dreadful day of the Lord. You want to read about that. Great for some, dreadful for others. You know, It says, what are you going to do? Okay, so He will return. That's in Zechariah 14 verse 9, and the Lord shall be king over all of the earth. So, now, I've only just picked out a couple of scriptures to illustrate each one, but I'm trying to catch you, get you to catch what, the, what our, our faith is, is about. It's about a relationship with a God who loves us, saved us, has called us to sonship and sharing dominion over His creation. And right now, you're just in your apprenticeship. It will happen. God has promised it. So the return of Christ has always been the hope of believers through every generation. Here it is in 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, get your thinking straight. 
Don't get all discouraged and disheartened. Be sober and rest your hope fully on the grace that will be brought at the revealing or revelation of Jesus Christ. So it says that when Christ returns, there will be an outpouring of his spirit like we have never seen before. That's what we're looking forward to. A grace that we've never, how many have known the grace of God? God was good to you, God gave, touched your life, brought change in your life. That's just a dab, that's like having a sip. That's a taste. The Bible calls it a taste of the power of the age to come. We just got the taste. Don't settle for the taste. <laughs> one bit of chocolate, don't settle for one bit of chocolate. Never settle for one. I the whole bar. Just get the appetite going, see? Here's the third thing then about our hope. Our hope is the physical resurrection of our body at the coming of Jesus Christ. Our hope, so another aspect of our hope. So at our hope, the Bible tells us our hope is the coming of Christ. And at the coming of Christ, then we will enter into our calling. So this is our hope. Not only that, there'll be a grace outpoured at that time that we've never experienced. And says one of the things that will happen at his coming is the physical resurrection of our body at his coming. Acts 24, verse 15 and 16. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, there will be a resurrection of the dead, just and unjust. And this being so, I always strive to have conscience without offense towards God and man. So notice then he's saying, I have a hope. Paul is preaching and he says, I have a hope that everyone's gonna be resurrected. So death isn't the end of everything. There is a resurrection for every person, good and bad. Both just and unjust will be raised. But here's the thing, there are different stages of resurrection. You may not have realised that. There is more than one resurrection. This is what the Bible calls the first resurrection. If there's a first one, there's probably a second one. It's called the general resurrection. So notice then, if Christ, in Romans 8 verse 10, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but your spirit is alive because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your body through his spirit. So the Holy Spirit in you is a guarantee he will resurrect your body. Absolute. See, so physical resurrection will take place at the return of Christ. There's a timing of it. So it's not happening right now. If you think the resurrection's happened, it hasn't happened. That's a lie. If you think it's happened already, resurrection has yet to come. Resurrection means your body will be transformed. It'll be the same body, but it'll be transformed by the power of God, becoming just like Jesus' body was. Here's a scripture. I pray this one a lot. 1 John 3, verse 2 and 3. Beloved, now we are the children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in himself purifies himself just as he himself is pure. Notice He calls it a hope. What is the hope? The hope is that when He appears, He will change us and we will be able to see Him face to face. One thing to pray in the Spirit and have mental pictures of the Lord. It's another thing to be able to see Him 
face to face. You can't do it unless your body is resurrected. So it says, when He is revealed, we shall be like Him. So notice, currently our status is children, technon, little ones of God in training. A child that hasn't reached maturity. How many other lots of Christians haven't reached maturity yet? You probably ran into one in the car park. <laughs> bad temper, bad attitude. So we're, we're a child. So, so the kingdom of God currently is growing within you like a seed. God is wanting you to grow. He put His Spirit in you, and if you will yield to the leadership of the Holy Spirit and Word of God, surrendering to Him, you'll produce great fruit and grow, and then you'll be ready for His return. At this stage, it's hard to tell the difference between some believers and some unbelievers. Yeah, Jesus taught about it. He said, it's like the wheat and the tears. You can't tell them apart. So don't haul them all out. That's why God doesn't suddenly deal with some people. Like we'd like them to deal with them. He just lets them grow together. He says, there'll come a time when they come to maturity. The time is ready of harvest. And it says at that time, then you'll put, separate the weeds and the tears. Why? Because the, 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 uh, the, uh, the wheat, the wheat when it grows, when it comes to maturity, bends over and bows, the tears stand up proudly. So that's how you can tell the difference. The, the wheat when it comes to maturity is a worshiper and yielded and surrendered. The tears are full of pride and their own ambitions. Any idea? Okay, so this time you can't tell who's who. So be kind and love people and share the gospel and do what you can to bless their lives because you can't tell. We just can't tell, only the Lord can tell. So at the coming of Jesus Christ, the first resurrection takes place and our body will be changed. So it says we will be like him. That word is the word homeos in Greek meaning similar in appearance or character. So when he appears, there will be a resurrection called the first resurrection and we will be changed. Our body, the Bible calls it this, this body of humiliation because it gets old and weak and teeth fall out more often than we'd like. Sometimes they're pulled out, a hair gets going, the earring goes, all sorts of things going. See it get older and it can't fall down. You can't stop that. There's 100% are gonna die until the resurrection. Then those who are alive at His coming will be raised. So the Bible says, this is a hope. And it says, everyone who has this hope purifies himself. Now get this, if you live in hope of the resurrection, you will do something about the condition of your life. You won't be waiting until you discover it. You actually live a godly life now. You do all you can to grow and respond to the Holy Spirit. He who has this hope, purifies himself. They don't have to someone tell them off all the time what's wrong in their life. They, they're actually working on their character and their life because they're walking with God. If there's something need healing, they line up for healing or go to a healing course or seek God for healing. If there's something needs setting free, they, they, they line up and go and they pursue it. Don't sit there acting like a victim, like poor me. No, 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 your job, this is your, your life. If you're defiled by bitterness, do something about it. You're defiled by uncleanness, do something about it. Defiled by trauma, do something about it. It says he who has this hope purifies himself, gets rid of defilement. They're moved by their hope to deal with what's painful and unpleasant. Isn't that interesting? So it has a very practical outworking. 
you notice, all of these things. We shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. Means a deep, intimate relationship with him face to face is one of the things about our hope. Not I'm gonna be like him, I'm gonna see him as I've never seen him before and be able to know him and be intimate with him. Okay, how about that? Now, and notice, notice in Philippians 3 and verse 20 and 21, the same thing. Our citizenship is in heaven. So we have dual citizenship. Citizen of New Zealand, citizens of heaven. This is a more important one, see? Greater privileges in that government. Uh, from which we eagerly await our Saviour, Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lonely body that it may be conformed to be like His glorious body, according to the same thing he, He's able to bring everything into, into unity. Now, you, you get a body that's been dead four days, it's in decay. Jesus raised it from the dead. He's just trying to help you see it's not impossible for God to do any of this. It's not impossible for God to change the earth. Not impossible for Him to change your world. Not impossible for Him to change you. He can do that. If He can raise someone from the dead, He can change you. Think about that. So He will transform our lowly body. Notice it's our citizenship. That means uh, the where you owe your allegiance ultimately is to the government of heaven. So sometimes as a citizen of the kingdom, you'll find a clash between your government, the government of Jesus Christ, and the culture and values of the world we live in. In which case you have to choose which is your primary citizenship. So there's certain things in the culture of New Zealand are an offense to God. The dishonor, the, all the kinds of things that go on. But we're to choose whether we will yield to our culture or yield to the culture of heaven. Okay then. So notice then, the first resurrection initiates Jesus, uh, of, uh, the return of Jesus initiates the resurrection. Get the idea? Okay, how many starting to get the idea? You start to see many different facets. Here's another facet of it. Our, our hope is to be filled with and carry the glory of God. So not only are going to have face-to-face -face encounter, not only is the power of God going to touch us, not only will our body be changed, but we will actually be filled and carry the glory of God. We're gonna be part of His plan to change the earth. Think about that. Our hope is to be filled with the glory of God. Now, people struggle with this, particularly they've got a religious background. The glory of God is the majesty and the nature and the power of God. It's who He is. God's, the hope set before you is you'll not live in such a low level of powerlessness, but you will be filled with the majesty, glory, and power of God. Let me show you the Scriptures. Romans 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, being justified by faith, we're peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Here it is. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So there's are rejoicing because God's got something much greater planned for you. The hope of the believer, part of it is to be filled with God's presence, power and glory and majesty. Yeah. And that's what encourages us to stay firm in difficulties because there's something greater God has for us. And now this, this hope of a glory to come the Bible calls it a mystery that was hidden all through the Bible. So if you try to find this in the Bible, in the Old Testament, not easy to find. It's all brought in the New Testament, you start to see it. In Colossians 1, 26 and 27, this mystery, the mystery that Paul's preaching about, was hidden from the ages and generations, but now is revealed. 
Holy Spirit made it known now. Here it is. To them God will to be known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Here it is. Christ in you, the glory of God within you, the hope of a glory to come. So when God put His Spirit inside you, it gives you a hope that He has planned to fill you with glory and honour and display you in the, in the ages to come. So this hope of believers being filled with glory was a mystery in the Old Testament. They never knew it. The, 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 the understanding that we would be the temple of God and we come and fill this temple with glory was unknown. They knew the tabernacle got filled with glory and no one could stand up. They knew the temple got filled with glory. They didn't know that we would be a temple and God would come and reside, not just in a measure, but come and display Himself in majesty through us. In the coming kingdom, the life you have lived will be reflected in the level of glory you display. Everyone will be able to see it. Okay? In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 21, 22, now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So when you got saved, God put his Spirit in you and marked you out. That word mark out means personal signature on you. You have the signature of God, the seal of God on you, marking out you belong to Him. No matter where you go, you belong to Jesus Christ. It's in the spirit realm, it's known very clearly. You are visible to the spirit realm. You are a Christian, aren't you? You're a believer, aren't you? They know who you are because God marked you out in a way you could be identified belonging to Him. And it said, notice that, and He's given us the earnest, the Bible calls it the earnest of the Spirit. That word earnest, you know when you buy a house, you put a down payment, a deposit. A deposit means there's much more to come. These deposits are only 10%, 20%, something like that, whatever the deposit is. The house is a really expensive house. And you know, if, you, if the deposit's given to you, you know what's coming. There is a day when the house is handed over and then the new owner takes ownership of the house and all the rest of the payment comes. So what God has given you now is what's called the down payment of His Spirit. He gives you enough now to guarantee. Every time you pray in tongues, every time the Holy Spirit's working through you, you've got the guarantee there's much, 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 much more to come. Much more to come. Eh? <laughs> so so even, even the creation itself, even creation itself understands this. The Bible says even creation is in hope of this. In other words, you see, a lot of people, Western people or European people, people with a, 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 the naturalistic background and rather than a spiritual worldview, tend to look at earth as being inanimate. They don't see that all of creation is living. And uh, so it says this in Romans 8, Romans 8, verse 18 through to, so we go 25. I consider the sufferings of this present time not worthy to compare to the glory which shall be revealed where? in us. 
That's a lot of motivation to get your life ordered now. It's a lot of motivation to walk right with God now. That's a lot of motivation right now to go and get healing if you need healing, deliverance if you need whatever you need. It's, this is a motivation. He says, he says I, he said, I consider the sufferings of this present time not worthy to be compared to the glory that has, shall be revealed in us. In other words, in another place he says that these little things that you're going through, they're nothing because they work glory in your life if you respond to them right. So we should be, of all people, the most positive people. When the problem comes, great, it's a chance to grow a greater level of glory in my life. I need to keep my eyes on the visible things and not be overwhelmed by this problem I've got. You understand, it is the lack of a living hope causes people to be trampled down and oppressed and not live powerfully and free. We can sing about our freedom, but it's something we've got to walk in. Since for the earnest expectation or the hope of creation eagerly awaits for the manifestation of the sons of God. Creation was subjected to vanity, not willingly because of him who subjected it in hope. So creation has a hope. Its hope is that God will, Jesus will return and at that return, he will manifest his sons and daughters in full glory and lift the curse off creation. This is what this is about. For the creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption and also come into glorious freedom. What does it mean? It means the weeds will stop growing. It means all of the things that make it hard to get production off the land will all go. All of the stuff of having to fertilize it and force it to produce will no longer be necessary because the curse will be lifted off the land. You think life's hard? There's a curse. And we're going to overcome that. It says not only those, we know the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains right until now. Not only that, we which have the first fruits of the Spirit groan, eagerly awaiting the adoption, the, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by this hope. Right? And we wait for it with perseverance. So you notice then, the hope that we have is a hope not just that I can come to Jesus and have my sins forgiven, but my whole life will be transformed to display God's glory and goodness. I'll participate with him. So notice there, he, he expands the hope. He says the hope is a glory yet to be revealed. He said it was, it was shown, of course, in Jesus on the Mount. It's the revealing or manifesting who are his sons and daughters. It's, it's the adoption, the placing into our full sonship rights in the earth. It is uh, the redemption of our body, the first resurrection. How about that? This is our hope, our hope. These, all of these things are our hope. This is what God, he, there's a calling on you to something bigger than you're involved in now. That calling is connected to the return of Jesus Christ. That calling and that hope has to do with the resurrection of the body when he comes. It has to do with being filled with his glory and carrying his glory. There's so many different aspects of this hope. I'll give you a couple more. And uh, the, the number five, our hope the Bible calls it the fullness of eternal life. Now, the Bible says we have received eternal life. When we come to Christ, we received eternal life. He gave us the gift of eternal life. But what you've just got is a little bit. That word eternal is the word aeonus, meaning belonging to an age. What God gave you was a bit of the life belonging to the age to come. Get you a taste of it so you'd want more. Here it is. Uh, in, one, in Titus 1, verse 2 and, and verse 7, in hope of eternal life. 
So the life that we have received, we've just got it in a measure. We're waiting for the fullness of it to come. Verse 7, Titus 3 verse 7. Having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So eternal life means there's a life in the kingdom you have only just tasted. It's called eternal life, the life belonging to that age. And that life you have now is going to come to you in abundance at that time. It's a hope to look forward to. Jesus taught it the same thing. So our hope that we look forward to is the life Jesus has given us. We will have much more of it in the coming kingdom. Okay, and we'll give me the last one then, uh, last couple. I've just got enough time to get them in. Uh, number six, our hope is an inheritance. So the Bible calls it an inheritance that you qualify for. Now, what is an inheritance? Inheritance is a great thing. Someone died, you to read the will, hear what you got. <laughs> nice to hear the reading of the will. I've been in a couple of them. Oh, they're great things to be. The reading of the way. Of course, there's a sadness that someone died, but there's also a joy. There's something going to come to me, my, my inheritance. Disappointment if there's not much there. Would that be right? But if, what if there's a million bucks? Now, that's a very happy day, isn't it? Come out of the lawyer's office, very happy that day. Inheritance, inheritance is a great thing. Says, now, Titus 3, verse 7, having been justified by his grace, we become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So eternal life is also, we're called to be an inheritor of it. So it's our inheritance. So the hope that we're looking forward to is described as something we inherit. Christ died, Christ purchased something on our behalf. When, we, when he returns, we inherit what we're now entitled to. So you've only got a portion of that inheritance. So you are an heir of God. You are an heir. That means you have an entitlement to something. You are joint heirs with Christ, the Bible says. So in Romans 6, 8 verse 16, the spirit bears witness with our spirit, we're a child of God. If you're a child of God, then you're an heir. Are you a child of God? Well, then you're an heir. You have an inheritance. You have something Jesus laid up for you. Where is it laid up for? It's in heaven. Some of it I can get hold of now. I like to get hold of plenty now. But it's, there's a time coming when you get all of the rest of it. And it says, uh, if we're children, we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ if we suffer with Him. See conditions on this inheritance. What he's really saying is very simply here is he said, you are a child of God, therefore entitled to inheritance, but you must identify with Christ in this present life. And when you identify and live a godly life, not everyone is happy about that. And some are very unhappy, and some are very vocal, and some are, treat you badly. But he said, if we suffer with them, if we endure those things, it shows we are an inheritor. For I consider the sufferings of this present time nothing compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. How about that? How about that? So there's an inheritance. Our inheritance means we experience the first resurrection. Our inheritance means we see Christ face to face. Our inheritance means we, the glory of God comes and fills our being. Uh, inheritance means the full rights of sonship as sons and daughters of God. The, the inheritance means it will be revealed to the world who we really are. Right now they don't see it. How can they see it? They just see the outside of you and the life you live. They don't see what's coming. And 
part of our inheritance that when Christ comes, we will rule with him as was originally intended. Daniel saw it. He said he saw in a vision the time when the saints receive the kingdom and rule with Christ. He was stunned by it. Read Daniel 7. There's several references to it. However, we can only receive our inheritance through the way of resurrection, the first resurrection. Understand, there's a way you get it. You can't get in without the resurrection. Here's a scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, 50. I say this, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither corruption in corruption. I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but shall all be changed. So your body must be resurrected to obtain that inheritance. Okay then. And interesting, the Bible tells us, see this, in some parts of Christianity, they teach a gospel that is incredibly permissive, that people can do whatever they like. But notice this scripture now. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, do you not know the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? So our hope is our inheritance, but you gotta live right before God now. He says, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. In other words, he's saying, it's possible for you to think you can just live like you want and yet be entitled to your inheritance. Okay? Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, abusive people, extortioners, none of them will inherit the kingdom of God. You understand there's other places, there's a longer list. I've just tried to help you see that although we have a great hope, it is somewhat conditional on how we live now. And here's the last one here then. Our hope is a prize we contend for. So I've tried to give you facets of what it might look like, but here's the last one. Our hope is a prize. Philippians 3.13, brethren, I count not myself to apprehend. It means I haven't got it yet. This one thing I do, Forgetting the things which are behind, reaching out for the things which are before, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. So he says, our hope is the high calling of God, the upward calling of God. He calls it a mark, something to aim for. He calls it a prize. The, 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 he uses the word and everyone knew what it was. It's the victor's crown. It's the laurel you got at the Olympic games. It's the crown, the medal you got for winning so he said he called it a prize something and he said the use of the words mark and win and prize imply it's not automatic you must walk with God and make an effort to live by the Spirit you don't win something unless you got in the race and you finished the race so read the scripture carefully you'll see the words mark prize win if it's a mark, it's something I'm aiming for. It's my hope. I want this more than anything. And so today I can live joyfully and trust Christ with what's happening because there's something bigger to look forward to. That's why these guys could all die so joyfully. They had something. He said, henceforth, there's a crown laid up for me. I, I got a prize laid up for me. I've got it. I know I've got it. And the way I'll get it is I will enter into it by laying my life down for Christ. So his sole focus was obtaining this prize. 
in, in, in verse 11 and 12, he said, if by any means I might attain the resurrection of the dead, if by any means, if by any means, means there's a possibility I may not. He's saying, I'm just doing everything to make sure I qualify for this resurrection. Now, the word resurrection there is the only time in the Bible it's used. And the word that's used, it refers to the first resurrection. So what he's saying is, he's saying, there is something for me to win. There's a prize. I set my goal on this and I do everything I can that I might attain that first resurrection. If there's something in your life needs to be sorted out, deal with it. If there's baggage in your life, get rid of it. If there's sin, overcome it, repent of it. If there's a wound, get sort of get it healed. If there's some trauma, get help to get over it. He said, I, whatever it takes, I press towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ that I might attain to that resurrection. It's the resurrection called the first resurrection. It's the resurrection that precedes the kingdom of Christ being established for a thousand years. The question is, where would you be at that coming of the Lord? Will you have prepared yourself? Will you be like the wise virgins or will you be like the foolish virgins? Will you be like the wise servant or the foolish servant? At His coming, He will decide who qualifies. He and He alone. I cannot make that decision. All I know is this is the prize. 1,000 years and then on into the eternal age of living with Christ, of sharing with Him face to face, of knowing Him personally, of carrying His glory, of being in a resurrection body on the earth when all others die, having no more sickness, no more struggles with health, living in a resurrected body, having intimate relationship with Jesus and having the honour of sharing and expanding His kingdom through the earth. What an amazing hope. He says, this is our hope. This is the hope of the high calling of God. This is the hope which will come at the return of Jesus Christ. He will take those who are His, those who qualify and welcome them into His kingdom. This is the hope of the believer. For all of those things, we press through every hardship. We hold on to that hope. How do we respond? We make the, kings of the things of the kingdom a priority. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your heart and affection on things which are above, for you are dead. And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, you will appear also with Him in glory. So this is the promise of Scripture. This is what I pray. When He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And every man that longs and hopes for that purifies his heart. You understand the Scripture is very, very strong. We prioritise the kingdom. We keep our heart free from defilement. And we fill our life with loving service of people. We're active in serving people. Titus 2.13 looking, expecting, waiting for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem for us from every lawless deed and purify Himself, His own special people, zealous for good works. Are you zealous for good works? Are you zealous for the Lord? 
Where are you in your walk with God right now? Are you overwhelmed, disheartened, discouraged, defeated, depressed? Or is there a hope within you of a day that is to come when the earth will be changed and you will be a part of that? If you've died by then, you'll be raised with Him. If you're alive then, you'll be raised at that time. This is the hope of our calling. It will come at the return of Christ. And now, because of that hope, I prioritise the kingdom, seeking it first. I prioritise my relationship with Jesus. I prioritise my personal growth and transformation. And I prioritise serving the Lord with a heart that loves and wants to benefit people. That's what sonship looks like. And it's having a great hope that moves us to do it. Why don't we close our eyes right now? I feel His presence. The presence of God. Lord, let Your glory come. Let Your glory come. Worship team, you just lead us up. Just lead us up. Let's begin to just worship Him now. I believe God's wanting to touch and heal some people, set some people free. So we begin the year wanting you to begin it on a real good place, a high place. A high place. With fresh vision that lifts you above the problems and moves you to resolve them and deal with them. That moves you to persevere in spite of misunderstandings and setbacks. That moves you to study the Word of God so it's birthed in your heart by revelation. If you're here today and you're disheartened, discouraged, I believe God today wants to touch you by His Spirit and set you free. Let's just all stand together. We're going to flow back into that song. Let heaven come. That's our prayer. Let heaven come. Jesus said, pray this way. May heaven come. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. If you're struggling with discouragement, why don't you make your way to the front? If you're struggling with sickness, why don't you make your way to the front, believing for the power of God to touch you? If you're struggling with depression and heaviness, why don't you believe for the power of God to set you free? If you've lost your hope because of disappointment, why don't you believe to have God set you free? If you've slowed down in your walk and you've allowed things to defile you, why don't you come up and say, God, purify my heart. I repent of those things. If you're weary of your journey, why don't you make your way and say, God, fill me with strength again. Fill me with your anointing. Fill me with your presence. If you're needing a fresh touch of God, why don't you come? If you have some sin that's been overwhelming you, why don't you come, repent of it and say, God, I want to be free of that thing that defiles me. If you've got some baggage in your life, say, God, I want to be free of that. Let heaven come and fill my life. Let your glory come. Come, there's many others need to come. Why don't you make your way forward now? Please come, please come. There's a fresh touch of God going to come on people. Is the kingdom yours? Is the power? 